You could spend the weekend doing the same old whatever, or you could conquer the weekend in the all-new Hyundai Santa Fe. Visit HyundaiUSA.com for more details. Hyundai, there's joy in every journey. Coming to you from Great American Ballpark, it's the Better Off Red Podcast. Here's your host, Jamie Ramsey. Happy holidays, everyone, and thanks for tuning in to this very special episode of the Better Off Red podcast. For the next two weeks, we're going to bring you exclusive content from Reds Fest 2016. This week, you'll hear from guests we interviewed on the Friday night of Reds Fest, including Reds manager Brian Price, pitcher Anthony DiSclefani, all-star outfielder Adam Duvall, and in our final segment, my pal Doug Flynn joins me to chat with Reds prospect Rookie Davis. So stick around and settle in because we have a whole bunch of ear candy for you to digest with your eggnog and Christmas cookies. But first, I want to remind you folks that every Tuesday night through the end of December and into the new year, the Reds Hot Stove League radio show will broadcast live from 6 to 7 at the Holy Grail in downtown Cincinnati, right across the street from Great American Ballpark. Join Marty and Tom Brenneman and Jim Kelch for an hour of Reds baseball as they warm up the winter nights by talking about the boys of summer. Immediately following the hot stove program, Better Off Red Baseball Trivia takes the stage to test your baseball knowledge with a nine-inning game hosted by yours truly. So join us every Tuesday at the Holy Grail for the Reds Hot Stove League show and Better Off Red Baseball Trivia. It's free and open to the public. Let's get started this week with our first guest from Reds Fest 2016, None other than Reds manager Brian. Brian, Price. welcome back to the the Cincinnati Fold for another year. You got another contract uh, extension, and we're very pleased to have you back as the Red Skipper. Are you, Thank are you, you. happy? Hey, I'm unbelievably happy. Unbelievably uh, happy that it worked out, and given the opportunity to to see this through and see this team turn around and uh, and uh, be the type of team that the, the fans of Cincinnati can be really excited about and and uh, and proud of. Is it something here? Like you come here every year, and this how many Reds Fest now is this for you? It's this is number eight, and it seems like it, there's more stuff each year when you get here. When I get here, there's so much more for the fans to do, and, and this is just a great event for the fans. Would would you say this is something that would be you know important to have as a Cincinnati, not only for the working for the Reds, but as a Reds fan to be able to come to each year, no matter what the team's record was in the summertime. Yeah, well, the thing that's to me is 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 wonderful about it is that it's just not a an, an opportunity to get an autograph. It's a great opportunity to get an autograph or to meet a player, but it's an outstanding opportunity to spend a day or two days completely engrossed in not just current Reds baseball but Reds history, uh, an opportunity to learn more about the ball club, the chance to be around the alumni, some of the most impactful. Uh, players of the, in, in the history of the Reds organization. And it just, the culture of baseball runs so deep in Cincinnati that this is so much more than just simply a time to get people together for autographs and pictures. And, and uh, I'm really glad that uh, the community and, and the Reds nation embraces this opportunity as they have. Yeah, I, I often tell people that come to Reds Fest, and I know a lot of people, and I know the autographs are a popular thing, but I tell folks, 
if you're coming just for the autographs, you're missing 90% of what's going on here. Yeah, you really do. I mean, there's so many interactive uh, events. We got kids hitting wiffle balls over there. We got coaches, clinics. You've got opportunity to go out there and spend time with uh, some of the, the great alumni that are here signing autographs, um, uh, video stuff, uh, historical pieces, places to eat, Q&A with players. I mean, it's a really nice opportunity to just get it totally immersed in it in the first weekend of December, which is to me is phenomenal. Yeah, and let me ask you, you mentioned the, the alumni. Uh, do you get a chance to talk to those guys and ask them maybe – maybe even get tips or just catch up with some of the guys that you don't normally get to talk to during the season? Well, I do. I mean, I was really fortunate when I was first hired to, uh, to be past uh, Pete Rose's phone number, and, and Pete was willing to talk to me about managing in Cincinnati, and that was a great honor, and I've had an opportunity actually to meet him in person for the first time last year when his number was retired and he went into the Reds Hall of Fame. Uh, but the other the other opportunities are just to be able to work side by side with Joe Morgan. Yeah. You know, uh, 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 J- Jack Billingham and Jim Maloney. And and uh, of course, everybody's, uh, you know, there, there's all sorts of favorites. David Concepcion, for me, was a personal favorite watching the big, big red machine in mm-hmm. the 70s. But even a guy like Doug Flynn, who's legendary in these parts and one of the best people I've ever met. But these are just that's just a small sampling. Clay Carroll's been wonderful to sure. deal with. Tom Hume, uh, Ted Power, who's now on our coaching staff. Just some really neat people. Yeah, and do you get a chance also to um, to talk to the young players, like some of the minor league players that maybe weren't in camp in spring training in 2016 or the years before that you get to – Put a face with the name and talk to those guys and do you do you get a chance to do that while you're here i get a chance it's limited as you can see i think a lot of people that are here realize that these players and coaches and alumni are being led <laughs> by a by a by a guide from from station to station and we're on a very tight schedule and so there's not a great deal of mingling opportunity however what i found has been extremely beneficial has been going on the reds caravan and being able to spend three or four days with a handful of, of young Reds players that get a chance to learn about the culture here and what exactly they got the opportunity to sign on for when they signed with the Reds, um, especially in regards to the history and the expectations as, as being a Cincinnati Red. Yeah, going back to the alumni, I, I, we had Jim Maloney on the podcast here last year, and he was pleasantly surprised when I told him that you had a picture among several pictures of uh, former Reds pitchers hanging in your office. I said, Jim, you're one of Brian thinks enough of you that he has one of your pictures hanging up in his office, and he was genuinely touched. What's your relationship like with yeah, Jim Maloney? I love Jim Maloney. He's, he comes to spring training every year. He spends a week with us, walks around, talks to the pitchers, is out there watching bullpens, passing on. You know, he's very, very conservative with what he offers sure. up because he never wants to step on anybody's toes. This is one of the great pitchers of the late 50s to no the question. early 70s in Major League Baseball and one of the all-time great Reds starting pitchers. So he, he has so much to offer, but he's just such a gentleman, and that's a treat. And he's actually one in my office. I have five large pictures that represent my personal starting five Reds starting rotation. Oh, I didn't know that was and the that's, significance. that's the impetus behind each okay. picture. So he's there with Jack Billingham, uh, Don Gullett, Gary Nolan, and Bronson Arroyo. That's, that's a pretty solid starting five right that's there. That's a nice rotation. <laughs> so getting back to the, the Reds minor leaguers, we just had Aristides Aquino over here, and I know you've heard a lot about that young man. Uh, and also I know Jesse Winker's here. 
Uh, you got to be excited about some of these guys that are coming up through the system. Is there anyone in particular that you would like to like to mention? Well, you know, I just met Ariel Hernandez, yeah. who was mm -hmm. a kid that we got from the Arizona Diamondbacks, and you know, everybody already knew that he threw really hard. Uh, what we didn't know is how quickly he could learn to command his curveball, improve the command of his fastball, and make jumps up in our system to where we feel he could impact our big league team in pretty short order. He's one of, a, of many, many guys. I think one of the things that should be pointed out is beyond uh, Nick Senzel, who's a, a terrific-looking prospect, we were rated as having the best draft in 2016 out of all the Major League Baseball teams, and that speaks to the depth of athletes and major league talent that we were able to draft in a single draft that makes me even more excited considering all the players that we've accumulated over the last year plus. Uh, so there's a lot of things for me to be excited about and Reds fans to be excited about moving forward. Now, when we talk about our, these young players, we have to mention the young pitching that came up. And we saw a glimpse of some of these guys uh, in 2016. We saw Cody Reed. We saw Robert Stevenson. We saw some young guys that came up. And, and they everything wasn't very, you know, there was some learning, some learning curves and there were some learning pains, growing pains. Um, are you confident that that they'll they'll get it? And I'm sure you are. But can you give the the Reds fans a reason for them not to uh, give up on these guys in haste? Well, yeah, I think one time, especially when you're uh, a team that is in a rebuilding mode, we saw that in the second half of 2015. We saw Finnegan and, and Lamb and Kiva Sampson, and we had a lot of young pitchers that came up. John Moscott got a chance to pitch, and most of them struggled. And of the guys that we called up this year, many of them struggled. However, you come back and you look at uh, Brandon Finnegan was an extremely reliable major league starter when there are questions going into the season if he'd be able to, to do anything as a major league starting pitcher. I mean, that, that was, it was impactful. We didn't know if Lorenzen and Iglesias were going to be able to successfully pitch out of the bullpen. They did. Uh, Cody Reed, Robert Stevenson, those pitchers that came up and scuffled a little bit, that, that's gonna, there's going to be some dividends to be paid on that because they're not going to have to go through the same thing again. They know where their weaknesses are. They know where they need to be impro uh, improved. And now we have to utilize them in the right roles in the right way. And they come into camp in shape, ready to compete. I think they'll compete all the way to the end for jobs on the ball club. Do you think it was beneficial for some of these guys like Cody Reed, Robert Stevenson, to actually kind of struggle in their first, uh, their first taste of the big league so they know and they're prepared and they get that experience? Well, you have to. You know, everyone does it. It doesn't matter of all the greats that have ever come through Cincinnati. Every one of them has struggled. Um, I grew up in the San Francisco Bay Area, and there was there's a, a story about Willie Mays getting called up, and he went 0 for 20, and he asked uh, his manager if he could be sent back to the minor leagues. He says, no, no, no. You're playing every day. You're playing every day. Get used to it. And he got a couple of hits, and he boosted his confidence. He became one of the greatest players to ever play the game. I don't know if these guys are going to be the greatest that ever played. Maybe they will be, but they're going to have to get punched in the face every now and again by the game. It beats everybody up. And the ones that survive and endure and have long careers are the ones that get punched in the face and get back up and compete. And so this is what we're going to learn about these guys is who's going to compete, who's going to adjust, who are the big leaguers, and, and that's what we're in the process of finding out. You mentioned Brandon Finnegan, and he was. He, was, he had showed flashes of absolute brilliance last year. He was fun to watch. Um, he's got to be in the mold for the, in the fold for the uh, the starting rotation next year, and 
Would you like to see him go a little deeper in games? Well, I, I would, but I think we also understood that we have to lead him gradually into how he accumulates his innings. Uh, the other part is is that he tends, for, for a young pitcher, which is not uncommon, he throws a lot of pitches to get his outs. So it wasn't uncommon to, after five innings, sometimes four innings, have 85 to close to 100 pitches where we just had to get him out. It was the responsible thing to do. In the second half, he threw way more strikes. His walk ratio came down somewhat. And that represented an opportunity for him to pitch more innings. And now after getting a full season as a starter under his belt, I think we can have higher expectations on higher pitch counts and more innings accumulated over the course of the 2017 season. What a pleasant surprise Dan Straley was in 2016, both on the field and in the clubhouse. I know he was an absolute treat to have his, his – he's kind of a character, and it was fun to have him around. Wouldn't you agree? I would agree that he was absolutely a fun character. More importantly, <laughs> very good pitcher. You know, you, you're willing to put up the guy with a guy that's a bad apple as long as he's <laughs> producing. And if they don't produce, you don't like the bad apple. But um, the thing about Dan is that he's fun to be around, and he competes and works unbelievably hard. And he got an opportunity to establish himself as a major league pitcher. He had some opportunity in, in, uh, in Oakland, in Chicago with the Cubs, and in Houston with the Astros. But this was the best opportunity to simply be given the ball every fifth day and run with the opportunity, and he did that. And he's made himself, an, I hate to say an established major league pitcher, but he's established the fact that he deserves to be in our starting rotation uh, moving forward and with the opportunity to continue to build his credibility as a major league starting pitcher. Something that you talked about towards the end of last year, and I know you've kind of hinted about it in your, as your tenure as the Reds manager, is the, uh, the way that you're going to use the bullpen. And I think it was I, – I loved your thoughts on – on this, and I think it's a, uh, a forward-thinking uh, process. And you saw a glimpse of it in the postseason this year with the way Dave Roberts used his bullpen, bringing in uh, Kenley Jansen in the seventh inning of an important game. I think it was a, a, a clinch game. Uh, and then you saw it again uh, in the World Series when uh, Aroldis Chapman's coming in early, pitching more than one inning. Is this something that you're uh, – that you're subscribed to, that you're all in 100%, or is it still something that you're thinking about as far as bringing in your best reliever in the toughest spots, whether it's the seventh or ninth inning? Well, more than anything, what we're trying to do is build a group of pitchers that are multiple inning pitchers that we can find a way to make them comfortable all pitching in the ninth inning. Now, that doesn't mean if you have a seven-man bullpen that all of them are going to pitch in the ninth inning in a, in a game you have a chance to win or a close game, but what it does mean is that we don't want to just have one guy that's the closer, and he's the only one that, that has learned to pitch comfortably in the ninth inning. So we'd like it to be Iglesias. We'd like it to be Lorenzen. We already know Singrani has been comfortable pitching in the ninth inning. We'd like Blake Wood to be able to pitch two innings and maybe be at eight and nine. The point is, is the more innings that we use Iglesias or Lorenzen, the less, less chance they, they have of pitching the next day, and now we need somebody to be able to pitch the ninth inning or the eighth and ninth the following day. So we need more than one person capable of pitching that inning. The other part is many of our best prospects are starting pitchers that may end up being better as relief pitchers. We don't know that yet. But with a starter's background, to have the durability in the, in the series of pitches that allows them to get left-handed and right-handed hitters out, we don't have to create specialty roles. Right-hander that gets righties out, lefty that gets lefties out. 
This guy can only throw one inning. This guy can, can't throw back-to-back days. We want to have a bunch of guys that can throw multiple innings, that get left-handed and right-handed hitters out, and that we teach to get comfortable pitching in the ninth inning. And now we can have more Clay Carrolls, more Pedro Borbones, more Raleigh Eastwicks that are multiple inning guys that can pitch in any role with success. And the big key to that is for these guys to set ego aside, set save opportunities aside, and think about solely about winning games. And, and that's the attitude that all of our players should have. Yeah, I agree 100%. And I think that you mentioned it. I think that kind of as long – I think in the day, this day and age – there's a contract being made on based on how many saves you have. And I think that's a shame because, you know, like we see, uh, you see some of the elite relief pitchers nowadays are the guys that come in the sixth, seventh inning that can get guys out. And they're the reliable guys that teams need to call upon, whether it's in the regular season or the postseason. You're, you're right. And I think what's, what's happening, you know, it's such a statistically driven business statistics talk when it comes to negotiations, the thing that happened, Chapman, that was, you know, it was great. He pitched all those innings, and that was great, and they won the World Series. Good for the Cubs. However, the guy to me that really made a name for himself was Andrew Miller, and people saw in the game, saw the value of a guy pitching that can pitch two and two-thirds innings and completely dominate to get you to your closer. And he's going to get paid very well to do that, be either as somebody's closer or as a two-to-three-inning setup man that helps get you to the closer and it cuts out all those other guys that are high-priced one-inning pitchers. I mean, those guys burn through your your payroll. You have too many guys that throw one inning but get paid six to eight million dollars to do it. You're burning through money and we don't have that type of money to spend. So we have to be smarter and we've got to use our best athletes, our best pitchers. If they're relievers, we have to be able to utilize them for more than one to three hitters. One of the topics that you talked about here at, uh, at Reds Fest was uh, Jose Peraza. And I know that's kind of a uh, uh, maybe a semi-controversial topic, but uh, just talking about him right now, you had to like what you saw in the second half of the season, or not even the second half, but when he came back up after uh, being demoted to Louisville, he came back up. He's a guy that you could really count on for a base hit, getting on base. Yeah, and to me, not a controversial topic at all, and I appreciate the way you asked the question because to clarify, I don't see any conf- or, 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 uh controversy at all around Jose. He did everything he, he did in AAA to get the opportunity to come to the big leagues. And when he came to the big leagues, he performed. He's a big leaguer. And if that means that we're sprinkling him around to get him playing time, or if that means that he's playing one position every day, that's yet to be said. But he's a major league player that will help the 2017 team win games. We don't need to send him to AAA to get seasoning. He's a big league player. And now we have to work hard, and maybe that means he's got to bop around. He's played left field, center field, second base, shortstop. And uh, Are you comfortable with him at each of those positions? I am. I'd like to have him play one position, but we have really good players on our roster, and that means somebody has to give up a full-time spot. And I don't think that's going to happen unless we are making trades or something changes with our roster. Um, but he should be on our roster. He's a major league player and one that can impact us in a way that helps us win games. Brian, finally, before we let, let you go here, could you please keep Larry Herms out of trouble here at Reds Fest? I don't know. You know, first of all, he's a chick magnet. Uh, that goes without saying. 
Um, and so there's really no place for Larry to hide. So I'll do the best I can. But you know, I'm getting older. I'm not very elusive myself. <laughs> Brian Price, what an absolute pleasure. You were the first guy I was looking forward to seeing here at Reds Fest. And I just enjoy your company, and I'm glad you came by today. Well, good to be with you. Really good, uh, uh, Jamie, and, and a treat. Ladies and gentlemen, that's Reds manager Brian Price. Please give it up for Brian. Just before Reds broke camp in 2016, Anthony DiSclefani suffered an oblique injury that forced him to the disabled list. He made a season debut in June and went on to post a 9-5 record in 20 starts, pitching to a 3.28 ERA. Here's our next guest, Anthony DiSclefani. Okay, ladies and gentlemen, we're joined by Anthony DiSclefani, the right-handed pitcher for the Reds who had a outstanding season this year. Anthony, welcome to Reds Fest. Oh, uh, thank you. <laughs> Is this on? Yeah, it's on. Thank you. It's, uh, you know, it feels great to be back here in Cincinnati um, you know, with all the fans. This is a great event and seems like an awesome turnout so far and should be a fun two days. So you are in Cincinnati. When did you get in and how long are you going to be here? And like, what do you do aside from Reds Fest when you're here? Do you work out at the ballpark and do some of that stuff? Yeah, so I got in um, at 5 o'clock, you know, yesterday afternoon, and um, me and Dan Straley and Tony Rendo, we went straight to Soto, <laughs> had, a, had ourselves a good dinner, you know, that's the first place I, I hit up once I get back here in Cincinnati, that's a real good spot, and um, this morning got a little workout in with some of the guys, and um, I'll end up stay here two days and leave Sunday morning. So you weren't responsible for Soto catching on fire this morning, were you? I think, I, maybe. I don't know. No, I, I, man, I, I don't know if it was was it Soto or or was it Nada. It was, was, it was right in there. Huh? Yeah, I think the the buildings that have them both there were. It was a I little. I can't have Soto go down. That's my spot. That's your spot, huh? Yeah. So let's talk a little bit about your 2016 season. You were you were injured at the beginning of the year, but when you came back, you came back strong. And you know, for my money, you are. And I tell people all the time when I when I talk to the the baseball people that I know that. You are quietly one of the best pitchers in the game. Um, do you feel yourself progressing and improving, or is it just something that you continue to do the same things uh, every day, every season? It just so happens that you're getting the results. Yeah, I mean, everything's about consistency. You know, up here at the big league levels, you know, I want to be consistent big league starter. So just from day in, day out activities, it's, you know, getting the work in, taking care of your body. Um, you know, make sure you get enough sleep and, you know, do you know, all that kind of stuff. It all it all adds up. And, um, you know, I just I just try and take, you know, pitching one day at a time, um, you know, whether it's preparing for starts and, you know, on that fifth day, I try and do, you know, the best I can. Is it tough for you, like, to start the season on the disabled list, seeing that, you know, especially the way the, the Reds got off to kind of a slow start this year? And does it does it? pull at you a little bit where you want to be out there to help those guys succeed? Yeah, there's no question. Um, you know, when that happened at the end of spring training, you know, I found out about my oblique, you know, I was real bummed. And, um, you know, I think I was supposed to, you know, get possibly get that opening day start. And, you know, that was, you know, that kind of, you know, it's a little dagger. Um, but, yeah, you know, two months on the DL is not fun. And, you know, especially, you know, we were struggling at the time and, you know, it's not fun sitting on the bench watching the team out there. You know, I definitely wanted to help. Yeah, and can you assure fans now that you're feeling good and you're ready to go for 2017? 
I feel great. Oblique feels great. Arm feels great. Shoulders great. Um, just working out every day and taking care of my body, you know, because I don't want that to happen again, that's for sure. You know, beyond the deal wasn't fun, and um, I plan on starting spring training strong, finishing strong, and, you know, having a good year. One of the surprises of the 2016 season, it was a kind of a long season as far as win-loss. Uh, the record went for the Reds, but one of the things that you have to be excited about and to be a part of was the Reds' starting rotation started to really kind of flourish in the second half of the season, especially with yourself, Dan Straley, who was probably the surprise of the season for the Reds. Brandon Finnegan pitched great, showed flashes of brilliance. You had guys like Tim Adelman out there. Is it something that you're pretty excited about going into 2017? Yeah, there's no question. I mean, we're all pretty, we're all relatively, you know, young guys, um, you know, just trying to, you know, gain experience and learning from each other. Um, but, yeah, like, like you said, it's, it's an exciting uh, starting staff, um, especially with Homer Bailey coming, coming back. You know, I feel like he'll anchor a lot of stuff down. And um, Brandon Finnegan had a, you know, nice, strong, solid season. And, you know, like you said, Dan Straley was, you know, maybe to you guys it was a surprise, but I think to Dan, he knows what kind of pitcher he was. And he was just waiting for that opportunity to get the ball every fifth day. And he obviously took uh, advantage of that. And, you know, you got to tip your hat to him. Is Dan Straley, does he, uh, is, is he any kind of an inspiration for your beard this year? <laughs> ah, man, that's, that's, that's a tough one, tough one to ask. You know, I, I kind of, last, no, last season, I really started, I was just growing it. And then once I came back, I, I think I was 6-0 and or 7-0, and and I, was, I wasn't shaving it. Um, but my beard will not ever be as long as Dan Straley's. Hey, tell, talk about a little bit about that first um, complete game that you threw this year. I believe it was in, uh, where were we? We, we were in um, Arizona. Arizona. Uh, I was on that trip, and you were lights out that game. And that was your first one. To, to my surprise, um, after the, the third out, I had to look at your stats to make sure, because I swore that you had one before, but I was su surprised that was your first complete game shutout. How sweet was that for you? Man, that was awesome. Yeah, I've been close before. I've had a couple eight innings since there where I thought maybe I you know, could go another inning or whatnot. But, you know, getting that first complete game shutout, um, you know, was, was really special. And, man, I was, I was so locked into that. Um, I got that third out in the inning, and it, it took me a quick second to realize I was done with the game. Like, that was it. Like, I don't have to go back out there anymore. You know, I kind of paused and then, you know, went up to cabbie and, um, you know, did that. But. Um, I was awesome. I was, you know, I was locked in, and that was a lot of fun. And not only is that, like, a, a great personal achievement for yourself, but that kind of picks the team up, you know? Like, when a, especially a long season, you're trying to fight for those small victories. For you, that was a huge victory. For the team, it's a huge victory. But also at the same time, I think it picks the clubhouse up a little bit. Did you feel that at all? Yeah, I mean, when I, I mean, everyone pushes for everybody to do great all the time, and um, – you know, that's not something I feel like, I mean, I think it's not something, you know, that's not easy to do is, you know, complete game shutouts. You know, I think I heard somebody say someone's first shutout usually comes when you throw like a no hitter or a perfect game, right? Um, so, you know, it was, it, was, it was special and, you know, you know, everyone in the clubhouse congratulated me and, you know, everyone was excited and obviously I thank all my teammates for that. You know, there was a lot of, you know, support and defense behind me for that game and run support. It made it a little easier. 
Well, you know, like you said, run support, but usually when, when pitchers or teams get in a game where they're blowing out a team, you know, things kind of even out. But in that case, you buckled down, you stayed true, and it, it, it paid off, and you got your first complete game shutout. And you mentioned the, the fact that this club, or at least in 2016, the Reds were really good in the clubhouse. I was fortunate enough to, to be in there a little bit. Of course, I don't wear a uniform, but just being around you guys, you could feel the camaraderie. And that's something, I'll be frank with you, it's, it's been a while since it's been that tight, and it felt like you guys were really tight this year. Can you confirm that? Can you, can you, can you, can you talk a little bit about what it's like being around those guys every day and how you guys pull for each other? And, because you're around each other for 200 days of the year, let's be honest. And Very long. Yeah, long Very time. Very long time. No, no question. Um, well, what makes it, you know, what makes it, you know, good is the Reds are rebuilding. So there is a lot of young players there. And, um, you know, you're able to kind of go through everything together, the ups and downs. And that's what ends, at the end ends up building a team. And, you know, that's how you gain that chemistry. And, you know, we are around each other a lot, you know, 200 games. And, you know, everyone's just got, you know, really solid personality. You can joke around with each other. I mean, that's how you get through such a long season, being able to crack jokes and, you know, bust each other's chops and stuff like that. And, you know, we're able to do that. And that, that loosens teams up, and you become more tight-knit group. And at the end, you know, that's how you win championships. We had Cody Reed over here in the Connect Zone earlier, and, you know, he had his struggles as a young pitcher making his Major League debut this year. And having a loose clubhouse like that has got to be easier for him to, to endure those lows. And is it something that you guys try your best to, like, try to pick guys up like that? Yeah, I mean, yeah. You you don't ever want to see anybody, you know, get off to, you know, your big league career like that. Um, but, you know, I think having that loose clubhouse, there's no question that, you know, that helps where, you know, he can feel comfortable going to talk to anybody or, you know, getting back up on that hill and, you know, just competing. Because, you know, that's what it's about. It's just being able to feel comfortable and compete. And that's the kind of environment, you know, we want to create a comfortable environment where, you know, you can get the best out of every player and compete. At the same time, you want guys to, you know, buckle down. And if you're not getting the job done, you know, you better put in that little extra work to, you know, get going and help the team out. So. Yeah, and Cody is a guy that I'm sure you'll agree, and even Robert Stevenson and some of the other guys that are coming up, you got to be excited for those guys, and it's not fair to judge those guys based on the small sample size that they provided in the 2016 season, correct? No, not at all. Um, I mean, you could say the same thing about my 2014 season with the Marlins. Um, I was up and down five times. I had maybe a total of 30-something innings, and my ERA was a six and a half. Um, even with such a small sample size, you know, I had some really good games where, you know, I was lights out. I had those few games where... You know, I, I probably got a little nervous during the game, and you're really trying hard to get that last out. And before you know, your guys are hitting balls off the wall in the gaps, and things aren't falling your way. And, you know, that creeps your ERA up a little bit, and, you know, don't look so good. Um, but you can't judge people off small sample sizes. So those guys will get their opportunity this year, and hopefully they take, you know, advantage of it. Let's talk a little bit about Homer Bailey. How important is Homer Bailey to this pitching staff, not only when he's on the mound healthy, but in the clubhouse as well? No, it's important. Um, it's important to have a veteran guy that's been here, you know, done it, experienced, been through stuff. you got to have that guy that you can go to that will give you that straight, sh you know, that straight shot answer. And he'll tell you the truth every time. 
you know, whether you want to hear it or not. Um, that's a good thing about Homer Bailey. And you always need, you know, that veteran guy to go to in a clubhouse. And, you know, I've talked to him a bunch, and I know he's talked to, you know, other other pitchers. And, you know, that's, that's just – I think players got to realize that's a valuable asset to have on the team. Like, if you got questions, go and ask them. Because um, even sometimes just talking about certain stuff – might help, you know, relieve – if you're struggling, if you're talking about something to another teammate, you know, that might help relieve some stress. And um, But it's just good to have him on the club. There's no other question. Now, you had a, a really good um, – a really good up-the-middle defense with um, – you know, you got Zach Cozart at shortstop, Brandon Phillips at second base, Billy Hamilton in center field. Is that something as a pitcher when you walk out to the mound, you're like – a little bit insurance out there. You can breathe a little easy when you see those guys out there. Yeah, there's no question. I mean, you got Cozart Phillips, which probably have some of the best hands in baseball. Um, you know, it's fun to watch them play. And then, I mean, what are you going to say? You can't say enough about Billy Hamilton out there. I mean, the fact that he didn't win a gold glove, I I don't, I don't understand. But um, you definitely feel confident. You know, there's definitely balls that have been hit off the bat this year, you know, especially like center field and – you're like, that's in the gap. And then Billy comes out of nowhere. Or, you know, you got that ball that's smoked up the middle or, you know, in the hole. And Cozart Phillips are making that, you know, that sensational play. Um, it's just fun to watch. And just no doubt it's comforting. At the beginning of the season, Devin Miseraco was injured. Tucker Barnhart stepped in and took over the role as the starting catcher. Can you talk a little bit about the performance that Tucker did and how he came in and, did a really good job for you guys. I, I mean, I love. I mean, I love throwing a Tucker. I mean, I haven't. I've thrown to Mezzarocco one game, so you know, um, he's obviously a good catcher. I mean, he's a he's obviously a great catcher, big league catcher. But Tucker stepped up. Um, just like it's all about opportunity and you know, kind of running with it. Um, you take advantage of it or not, and you know, Tucker did a great job this year taking over, you know, that starting role and managing pitchers. And, you know, he was a, a bull behind the plate this year, um, calling games, blocking games, always, you know, willing to learn. And that's what you want from a, a player and especially a catcher. How's the uh, – I, I remember at the, at, the, at the middle of the season, uh, the Reds made a, a, a coaching move and they brought uh, – they promoted Mac Jenkins to the pitching coach and they brought Ted Power up from Louisville. And Ted's been familiar with a lot of the, the players that have come up through the, the Louisville AAA area. Um, how did that, if it did affect you guys, uh, how did that coaching move uh, go for you guys? And um, what kind of relationship do you have with Mac and Ted Power and even Brian Price? Um, you know, I think it, it, I think it affected us in a positive way for sure. Um, I mean, I'm not knocking Riggins at all because I think he was a great coach. Um, at the end of the day, you know, us as pitchers, you know, the pitching coach doesn't throw the ball for you. You got to take, you know, some um, accountability for yourselves. But with that said, I mean, there's no question that Mac Jenkins earned that, you know, that that role, and Teddy Powers obviously deserved to come up. And you know, those are two solid guys. Um, you know, I worked a lot with Mac Jenkins my first year here with the Reds. Um, you know, any question I had, you know, I went to him a lot, and um, he did a lot of worked with me all the time um, so it was great to have him come up in that role last year and um, you know Teddy Powers like you said talked a lot with you know knows a lot of the younger guys and that's what we got we got some young pitching so it's great to have guys 
you know, that he's worked with before, knows a little bit, and kind of, you know, helped him make adjustments up here. And before I let you go, Anthony, um, give us your take, what you see personally as far as where this team's going. Are you excited about the direction it's going? I know you had to take your lumps in 2016. You might have to take your lumps in 2017. But at, at the end of the day, do you see this team headed in the right direction? Yeah, there's no question. I mean, we've definitely made some some additions here over the uh, the past few years. And, um, you know, we're these you can't count out young guys because young guys want to prove a lot. And, you know, I was saying this last spring training, um, you know, what I thought was going to happen in 2016. And I think if some of the guys, you know, didn't get hurt, I think 2016 is a little bit of a different story. I mean, these young guys, Iglesias, Lorenzen, I mean, those are two big guys that came back to this bullpen um, and, you know, bolstered that thing. Um, so I think there's a lot to be excited about. If we all start healthy, you know, this 2017 season, I think you're going to see a lot of, you know, what we did that second half last year, if not, you know, a little bit better. Anthony, it's always a pleasure to see you. Thanks for coming by. Cool. I really appreciate you coming on the podcast. Oh, well, thanks for having me. All right. Ladies and gentlemen, that's Anthony DiSclefani. Give it up for him. In his first full year in the big leagues in 2016, he hit 33 home runs, made the all-star team, participated in the home run derby, and was named a finalist for the Gold Glove Award. Not too shabby. Here's Reds left fielder, Adam Duvall. Okay, ladies and gentlemen, we're, we're joined by Adam Duvall, 2016 Reds All-Star. Adam, how's it going, man? It's going good. It's going good. How's your, busy. Uh, how's your off-season treating you? Uh, it's, it's treating me good. It's been, it's been busy itself. Um, but you know what? It's been good to take a little time off and uh, regroup and get ready for 2017. Yeah, I, I, I almost want to feel sorry for you because you didn't get an All-Star break off, but at the same time, you were an All-Star, so that's pretty cool. Yeah, yeah. I mean, you can never complain about that. Uh, <laughs> You know, the, as much as those, uh, you know, four days would be nice, you know, it's always an honor to, to be named as an all-star. And, um, you know, hopefully I never get those four days off. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, exactly. So tell me about your 2016 season. I know it was your first, like, real, true big league, your first full big league season. And, man, for a guy for playing in his first full big league season, hitting 33 home runs, driving in 100 RBIs, and, you know, having an OPS near eight, that's got to be exciting. Yeah, yeah, you know, um, you know, I, I'd always felt that I could do that, um, you know, uh, but, you know, at the right opportunity was needed, and, um, you know, the Reds, I, I think the Reds were giving me that opportunity, and, um, you know, I was proud of myself for taking advantage of it, so, um, but, you know, with that being said, it's, it's uh, you know, it, things can turn around fast, so you got to, you got to stay level-headed, you got to keep it, um, you know, going on the right track, um, so, you know, putting a, putting a lot of work in this offseason and getting ready for 2017. And you know what? I'm excited to uh, see what we can do. And are you excited about the direction this team's going? I mean, I know it's it's tough to lose 90-some-odd games and still maintain a positive attitude. But uh, me personally, as a guy that works for the teams around you guys a lot, I am excited. I am, like, looking forward to seeing what you guys got, and especially if you're healthy. And if everybody comes up strong, it's going to be a good team that I think fans are going to be proud of. What do you think? Yeah, I think, you know what, I think, um, you know, I think a lot of people are counting us out, you know, like they have done the past couple of years. But, you know what, I think, I think, I think a lot of people will be surprised at what we're, you know, what we're bringing. And, um, you know, I think, I think the caliber of baseball that we're going to play next year is going to be, it's going to be pretty good. And, 
um, you know, I think we'll win more games than people are going to give us credit for. For a guy who came up as an infielder and a pretty good one as that, uh, you made the, uh, the, the switch to the outfield, preferably or specifically left field, flawlessly. Uh, did it take a lot of work? I mean, you made it look easy out there. Yeah, yeah. I mean, that's, you know, that's one thing that I've always worked on. Uh, that part of my game that I've worked on the hardest is my defense. And, you know, I, I think going from third base to left field helped me out a lot because it's a lot of the same angles. It's coming off the bat the same. And, um, you know, I, I felt very comfortable out there. And, you know, I, and I'm just I'm just looking to get uh, incrementally better, you know, at different things and, um, you know, try to take that into next year and, um, you know, see how it goes. Uh, so, at the end of the season, you were named a finalist for the Gold Glove Award in the outfield. That had to be a special cap to a very special season. Yeah, that's uh, that's one of the proudest moments um, in my baseball career because, um, you know, I've always had the the knock on me as, you know, doesn't have a isn't a spectacular defender, doesn't have a position sort of type, and uh, you know, I just wanted to prove them those guys wrong who said that, and um, you know, I worked hard on it, and you know, it paid off, and. Um, like I said, that's that's one of the more that's one of the more prouder uh, moments that I've had in my life. So when you came, when you won the job in spring training as the Reds left fielder, um, and ended up having a great season. I mean, especially your, the first half of your season was incredible. Could you see a difference with the way the pitchers were attacking you as the season progressed? Yeah, I think uh, you know throughout the season they're gonna they're gonna fi- they're gonna have a book on you. They're gonna find your holes. They're gonna you know try to exploit them. But as a as a hitter, you got to try to make an adjustment to the pitchers. So you gotta you know it, it's like a chess match. You gotta you gotta just keep just keep making moves, and um, you know the, the the person who adjusts faster is gonna win. So um, you know you just gotta continue to adjust. Uh, what are some of the things that? In your opinion, if you're a critic of yourself, if you're the scout looking at Adam Duvall, what are the things that you need to work on? Uh, well, I, I am a critic of myself. I do, you know, I do critique myself a lot, and um, but I believe it's in a positive way. I think, um, you know, everybody has holes. Everybody's got some knocks on them. So uh, you kind of got to look back. And I think some of the things I think, you know, I'd like to for my contract rate to go up. Um, you know, I'd like to. I'd like to maybe walk more, um, you know, just get on base. I think that's important. So, uh, you know, those are probably t- the two things that I'd like to work on. And, um, you know, I think I think the contact rate will help my average go up a little bit. But, um, you know, with that being said, average for a for a, a middle of the middle of the lineup guy who's going to try to drive in a lot of runs, average, you know, is sometimes overrated. Um, you know, because sometimes you just got to hit the hit the ball on the ground to score the run and and give yourself up for the team. So, um, you know, with that being said, it's it's just like I said, incremental. It's just incremental things that you want to try to get better at. I think some of the critics of you in the 2016 season will will point your, their fingers at the second your second half stats. Um, and you know, you had 23 first half uh, home runs, 10 in the second. That's not a reason to panic for Adam Duvall, is it? Oh no, no. I mean, that's a uh, you know, I, I was I was very proud of how I ended the season. Um, you know, we were in St. Louis. I had a really good series. Hit, you know, three home runs in that series. Drove in uh, nine or ten, I think, that series. So, um, you know, I, I I finished on a good note, and you know, kind of figured things out there at the end. And um, you know, if that if that if that season went a month longer, then um, you know, I don't think we'd be talking about that. Yeah, I I, I tend to agree with you because you did finish strong. I do remember watching that St. Louis series, thinking, yeah, this guy's. 
he's adjusting as the pitchers adjust to him, and yeah. it was a good thing to see. And let me ask you, like having a guy, and first knowing, seeing you at the All-Star game, especially in the Home Run Derby, and seeing Jay kind of like was kind of meant at serving as a mentor for you at the All-Star game. First of all, it was probably great when you found out that Jay was going to be an All-Star with sure. you. And second, um, how important were guys like Jay and Joey Votto uh, for you in your first full big league season? Oh, I mean, they, you know, very important. Um, you know, th those guys, they mean a lot to me. And, uh, you know, I still talk to Jay a lot. Um, you know, he, he uh, he's, uh, you know, he, he took me under his wing while he was here. And, you know, I thank him for that because he's a, he's a great guy. And, um, you know, he taught me a lot. He taught me, uh, you know, the ins and outs of, of being a big leaguer. And, you know, I, when I came over, I had some time with the Giants. And, um, but, you know, he really took me under his wing. And, you know, that meant a lot to me personally. And how about a guy like Joey? Is he, I mean, like just watching him on a daily basis, you get to see him every day in person, like a few feet away at the, in the batter's box. How amazing is he as a hitter, as another big league hitter, seeing him every day and just trying to learn from him yeah he's uh you know it's unbelievable to watch he uh you know his work ethic and and you know his routine is is dialed in i mean he's focused he's in there he's working um you know you know a lot of people see him on the field and that's it they don't they don't really see all the work that goes in you know before before the game and um you know he he credits it a lot to his work and you know, it's impressive to watch, especially the length of time that he can he can stay hot and stay locked in because, you know, a lot of guys can get hot for a week, but, you know, it seems like he can get hot for a month and then two months and then, you know, like like it happened uh, the second half. So, Right. And um, you, you mentioned earlier uh, some, of the, some of the things that you want to work on is walking more, and, you know, obviously Joey's got such great plate discipline. Um, but, you know, in my opinion, if you're going to hit 33 home runs – you're going to end up, that's just going to be a correlation where you're going to end right, up walking right. more. Um, and you want to get your contact rate up. That's, you know, something that you're concerned, well, not concerned with, but that's something you want to improve incrementally on. Um, your defense is great. You've you got to be excited, like, at 27, given that opportunity, uh, coming over in a trade in which, you know, maybe that, you know, everybody at first was talking about Kaori Maya, who you were deal dealt with, yeah. and then you come on like gangbusters in spring training. You have a great season. It's got to be great for you. And can you just talk a little bit about just the season in general for you personally, and maybe even touch upon your All Star Game experience as well? Yeah, I mean, you know, it all starts with the opportunity that I was given. Um, you know, being traded over from the Giants and then given the opportunity to play left field uh, with the Reds. And, um, you know, it, 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 it was a whirlwind. Um, you know, going into spring training, I knew that, you know, it was going to be a dogfight. And, uh, you know, Shebler, you know, he played great. He, so, you know, we were in a platoon there. And, um, you know, I just I kind of got hot at the right time. And, um, you know, I, I took advantage of the situation. And, you know, I was proud of myself for that because – um, you know, I, I believe in this game, you don't get too many opportunities. And, you know, so the, the few ones you do, you need to take advantage of. And I felt like I did that. And, um, you know, I was able to keep that going throughout the season. And, um, you know, but like I said, there's a, you know, there's a lot of things that I want to get better at. And, um, you know, in the off season is the time to do that. And, um, you know, I'm just looking forward to, uh, you know, to getting back out there and, um, you know, seeing what we can do and this team can do in 2017. 
can you talk a little bit about your all-star experience about like what it was like for you to like you know get in on that team and then just you know taking it all in seeing all these stars and that's just a surreal experience isn't it oh for sure you know i told myself uh you know try not to blink because it, it, it is everything it's so fast-paced you know for you're from one thing to another to another all day every day for those you know three days and um you know, I wanted to try to soak it all in, and I feel like I did a good job of, of you know, of just kind of looking around and kind of observing and, and, and just taking it all in, talking to some of the guys. And, um, you know, with, with Jay there, that helped a lot, you know, because he kind of – he had been there before. He kind of showed me, hey, you know, you can do this, you can do that, or, you know, you may want to skip out on that and then do this. He kind of – you know, he helped me out a lot, and that, that you know, I can't say enough about that. Sure. Uh, Adam, you take great care of yourself. What kind of regiment do you work on in season and off season? Uh, well, you know, well, being type one diabetic, I don't know if you knew that I'm type one diabetic. So, uh, you know, I, I try to take care of myself as well as I can. I try to, you know, limit, um, you know, the, the high, sh- high sugar foods, um, you know, and, and I try to, you know, drink the right things, eat the right things, get the right amount of sleep. Um, you know, because being diabetic, it can it can kind of roller coaster ride a little bit. So, um, you know, I try to I try to you know take care of my body because I know at the end of the day that's that's going to help me stay healthy throughout a long season. Uh, you know, 162 games. Sure. So, take us uh, run us through a workout for you during the season and what you're doing now uh, in the off season. Okay. Well, you know, during the season, uh, I try to work out two full body workouts a day or a week. Sorry. Not two a day, that'd be too many, uh, but a week. And then, uh, you know, to try to maintain, because throughout the season you're going to lose a little bit of weight or, you know, some guys gain a little bit of weight. depends on how your body reacts, um, you know, to the different stresses. And uh, But, you know, uh, two, days a, two days a week, full body. Um, you know, try to maintain, you know, what you've done in the off season. And then uh, in the off season, I'm going five days a week, um, uh, three total bodies, and two uh, two cardio days, and uh, you know, and then obviously the baseball stuff getting thrown in there. So, um, you know, it's uh, you know, this is this is one of my favorite times of the year is preparing for the season because I think a lot of a lot of it is is in the preparation. Um, you know, it's it's you know, it's fun to go out there and hit home runs and you know, drive in runs, but. Uh, you know, this I would have to say this is one of my favorite times of the year where I can I can really push it and I can really get ready for the season and and, uh, you know, really challenge myself. Now, that's a physical preparation. Is your mental preparation for the 2017 season going to be different knowing that, you know, you don't have to go into uh, Goodyear in that dogfight for your position that you can relax a little bit? and maybe have a clearer mind going into the spring training year? Yeah, I mean, uh, you know, I, 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 I wouldn't say that my mindset's any different. Um, you know, I'm comfortable with where I'm at, and that means a lot, being comfortable. Um, but, you know, I think, I think um, the, the advantage in the mindset um, that you have is, is, like I said, in your preparation, because knowing that you've done everything you possibly can to get ready for that season – um, that that gives you that mental edge, and at least for me, it does. Um, you know, so so the work I put in gives me, uh, you know, I feel like a mental advantage. Um, you know, because I know how how hard I've worked. Very good. How nice is it to to play for basically your hometown team here in Cincinnati? I know when when you came over from San Francisco, it was probably really sweet for you to to play in Cincinnati. Yeah, for sure. You know, when I got traded. 
Um, you know, it was bittersweet at first because I had been with the organization for so long, but, you know, I knew coming over that I was going to get a good opportunity. Um, and then, you know, another thing is my friends and family. I, they get to come up. I get to shoot down maybe on an off day. And, um, you know, it means a lot to me uh, because, you know, for so long I was on the West Coast. I was spending, uh, you know, a lot of time away from my friends and family. I didn't get to see them. They didn't get to see me. And, uh, you know, so it means a lot for them to be able to come up and, um, you know, it, 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 it kind of shortens the season a little bit because, you know, I do get to see my family more often. Finally, how far is Rick Pitino and Adam Duvall's Louisville Cardinals going to go in the NCAA tournament this year? Well, um, you know, you can never count us out. So, um, you know, it doesn't matter really what we're ranked. I think Pitino, you know, he runs a tight ship. He, uh, you know, he's a great coach, Hall of Fame coach. And, uh, you know, I'll be looking forward to it. And, uh, you know, I think we've got a pretty good team uh, this year and, you know, as, as every year. But, um, you know, it'll be fun to watch. I think, you know, I, I don't know. I don't know. Oh, it's a little almost, early. You it's almost a little, made a prediction well, there. Well, yeah, I don't like to I don't, I don't like to. I don't like to put the, you know, the cart before the horse. But um, so we'll see how it plays off. So, okay, I was watching the Indiana game the other night, and lo and behold, they show Kyle Schwarber, who's an Indiana alum, in the crowd. They put the camera on him for about five minutes. I'm waiting to see Adam Duvall in the crowd at at the Yum Center during a Louisville game. I think it needs to happen. Yeah, yeah. Well, uh, you know, if we we can win the World Series next year (laughs) as a Red, then I'll go back to Louisville, and I'll I'll put on a Reds jersey, and then uh, maybe we'll get the camera on me. I love it. Adam, you're a class actor, a gentleman, and you're easy to root for, so I really appreciate you I appreciate you having me. Okay, that's Adam Duvall, ladies and gentlemen. Give it up for Adam Duvall, 2016 Reds All-Star. Finally this week, I'm joined by my good friend and 1980 Gold Glove winner and former point guard of the Kentucky Wildcats, the glue, Doug Flynn. Doug and I had the privilege of visiting with a young man who's sure to make a name for himself in this game. He is one of the Reds' top prospects, Rookie Davis. All right, go ahead, guys. We got Doug Flynn here. We got Rookie Davis. Doug, say hello to all of your fans that are clamoring. Both of them are here. Both. I saw them both when they, they came in earlier and got some autographs, and then they left. Not my autograph, but some other people's. They didn't get your autograph? No. That's crazy. Hi there. How are you all? Can you hear us? <laughs> you can? You want me to turn Jamie off? You want me to? Uh, okay. All right. So, Jamie, guys. from our seats, we can't see the peeps. You can't see what? Our peeps, man. We can't see the people down there. So, before we get started, I want to let, I just want to make sure that Rookie gets a few words in. Between you and me, I have a feeling that he might, you know, feel like he has to raise his hand up. It's fine. I'll warm up. I'll warm up eventually. <laughs> Doug, I want you to start off by asking Rookie Davis a question. Okay. Hey, Ru- is that your real name, Rookie? It is not. It isn't? Wait, not. How did you get the name? My dad, who's actually in attendance. Dad, if you want to raise your hand so they can see you. There he is. Um, Hello, Mr. Davis. How you doing? Uh, so you gave him a real name, but he took rookie, right? More he, or less. Did he nickname you? He did. He did. Um, I'm a third generation, William Theron Davis III. And, you know, What's your name again? William Theron okay. Davis gotcha. the third, yeah. the third. It's a long one. Wow. Um, the, the only reason why I know that is Do because you, it shows up on our official, like, 
40-man roster. Hey, with that kind of name, I bet he's got a butler. (laughs) I don't. You don't don't. have a butler? I do not. Oh, I do not. Um, But (laughs) name me that. He's always – he played baseball growing up, loved the game. Um, So he was basically dogging you really and going, hey, Rook. He did. You know, now looking back on it, it's almost – It's all coming out now. You didn't (laughs) – it's, it's. I think he just set me set me up for it. I've had a lot of people ask after my first year in the big leagues, <laughs> then what happens? And I, I don't have an answer. Oh, you know? that's a good yeah, point. Yeah, I was I was wondering about that. I actually like of the weird things that I think about. I thought about that one day. Like, are they going to continue to call him rookie after? I guess it's his name, right? I've, I mean, yeah. I've taken it a step further too. When I'm you know 50 years old, yeah, then yeah, is it still rookie? Yeah, you know it's. Hey, that, hey, if that's if that's what you answer to, and if that's what got you here, stay Jamie, with me. Jamie, I think your job will be oh, to boy. come up with another name for rookie when he gets to the big leagues. I don't think his that's my year. job. I think his parents would be offended if I came up with another. No, name they wouldn't. Him. He's in the big leagues. They don't care. I guarantee that. I play a year in the big leagues. They don't care what you call me. <laughs> <laughs> now that's the, that's the best answer right there. Because once you get there, baby. Well, I don't think he's too far off, Doug. I, think, I hear uh, you. Rookie Davis came over, uh, of course, in that uh, Araldis Chapman deal. The Reds, uh, you know, were uh, critiqued on that trade, but as far as I'm concerned, that was a good trade for the Reds, considering that the Yankees moved Chapman on to another team because, in turn, he was a free agent at the end of the season. And the Reds got three great players out of that deal, in my opinion. Well, one of them being with us right now. And the one who will decide whether it's a good trade or not are going to be the people that were involved in the trade. I happened to be involved in a trade one time, which in the headlines of the uh, newspaper. It all goes back to Doug Flynn. Here we go. Jamie, if you got to go out and do something, we can handle this, I promise. <laughs> but I had to go. It said in the newspaper, and this is for you. This is ammunition for you. You know what the New York paper said when I got traded? Doug who? Midnight Massacre. <laughs> oh, jeez. <laughs> they did because they got. That's not good. The Reds were getting Tom Seaver, and me and three other guys were going to New York. But it did. The paper said the Midnight Massacre. Now, I, how would you like to live up to that? Well, I think Rookie would be amused to hear also that when you did get to New York, your, your car got stolen twice. Wow. Well, no. I actually had two cars stolen once each. <laughs> <laughs> and then wasn't when your first day at uh, Shea Stadium, you, you go out in your uniform and somebody in the crowd was You remember that, you? huh? You tell me those stories. I listen. I'm a sponge, man. Yes, you really are. I did. I get traded the first day in New York. I go out and I'm going to take infield, feel pretty comfortable. Got my uniform on, got my stirrups up, because here in Cincinnati we had to wear the stirrups really low. Back when they wore stirrups. I walk out, and I hear this guy say, Mr. Flynn. I went, oh, that's nice, Mr. Flynn. I turned around. I said, hey, how you doing? He said, you suck. And I went, well, welcome to New York. (laughs) So, Rookie, let's talk a little bit about your season this year. You got up to the AAA level. Uh, You appeared in uh, 19 or uh, five games. You made four starts. Uh, for Louisville, but you spent most of the season at Pensacola, where you had an ERA under three. That's uh, you know, that's some those some are some good numbers right there. Can you talk a little bit about uh, what worked for you at the at the Double A level and your progression up to Triple A? Yeah, I mean, in Double A, obviously coming to a new organization, I wanted to try and establish myself not only as a guy that can that can eat up innings and, and produce solid numbers, but be someone that's a good teammate, a good guy in the clubhouse. And that was my first um, thing that I wanted to really hone in on. Yeah. Um, but, you know, in, in AA, I had, I had a, a good season. Um, I had some kind of nagging injuries that just one thing would get sorted out and then it would be another. Um, 
but you know the, the training staff down there they did a great job keeping me going every five days but just attacking guys um i got to give a, a ton of credit to danny darwin my pitching coach in double a he did a phenomenal job with um you know jackson stevens travi sal amir me i mean they, those were the starting five those are some big names right there um you know, and he handled us well. He was, you know, <clears throat> anytime you ever had questions, he was always there to answer them. Um, you know, and he, he preached to live, you know, it, it establish that inside corner. Uh, and that's something that I, I take away from him is, you know, power pitchers, you have to be able to come in for a strike and come in for effect. And the, I didn't understand the difference between the two until this year. Um, you know, and the, and the progression from double A AA to triple A, it's just – I, I won't even say it's the talent. You know, some guys are deeper in lineups, but it's just the mentality, uh, the mental approach. Game gets those, a little quicker, doesn't it? It, it does. It, it gets a little bit quicker. And, you know, you have older guys that they've seen it. Um, you know, and, and I had a talk with Delano about it. Those guys are there for a reason. So it's, it's just a learning curve that I felt like I was – um, starting to get a better grasp on towards the end. Um, then obviously I went to Pensacola to pitch in the playoffs, which was a great experience. Um, so, you know, it's just it's a learning curve like any other uh, jump that you make. It's just how you adjust to it. Um, and one thing that I didn't, I didn't go away from my strengths. Yeah. Um, so know. for those, not to interrupt, but for those folks that might not be familiar with you, Rookie, you uh, are a right-handed pitcher. Yeah. You're a big guy. Mm. You're a power pitcher, right? Mm. Is that how you would describe yourself? Yeah. Fastball is your main go-to? Yeah, fastball. Um, I use it probably 70% of the time. Um, and then curveball change-up, it just develop, you know, depends on each start, um, how often I use it. But I pitch off my fastball a lot, and that's – that's something in AAA that I did. I, I continued to throw fastballs. I continued to challenge the guys. And, um, you know, that's something that they told me is whenever guys get up there and they struggle, they immediately go away from that because they're afraid of contact. Um, but, I, honestly, it doesn't matter what level I'm at. I'm going to continue to challenge guys. And if you're going to beat me, you're going to beat me, you know, my best versus your best. And that's how I just approach it. You'll notice when you get up there too, your defenses will get a lot better too. Yeah. So you can you can be a little more comfortable throwing to contract. If you keep it in the ballpark or in contact, if you keep it in the ballpark, guys will make the plays. Right. And, that, and that was probably the biggest difference I saw when I moved up. Triple uh, A, uh, we had some great talented people. Uh, back in those days, there was no place for us to go because the Big Red Machine was there. So you had guys like Ray Knight and uh, Junior Kennedy. Uh, Ed Armbrist or Joel Youngblood. We just didn't have any place to go play. So we had a pretty good ball club out there on the field, and our pitchers finally got to the point when they knew they didn't have to strike out everybody. You put, mm -hmm. let them put it in play, we'll make the plays for you. Right. Doug, rookie mentioned that Danny Darwin was helping him uh, learn the, the way of throwing on that inside corner. As, a guy, that, as a guy that, you know, played, had quite a few at-bats at the big league level, tell us how important – that is for him and how to, uh, you know, attack that inside corner. Well, it is. And I played with Danny a little bit in Texas, and he was a power pitcher. I mean, back in those days, he, he had a goofy delivery, but he threw hard, and he had a real good moving ball. So he could run that ball in on your hands pretty much any time yeah. he wanted to. Uh, but, yeah, it, it, you see a lot of pitchers now, they're afraid to go to that. I mean, it doesn't have to be strikes. There's a difference between a strike and a good strike. I mean, there's a lot of pitches down the middle and up. 
that are not good strikes. You can make that same pitch, you know, a couple inches in this way or out that way, and you got a pretty good strike. And I think that's the important thing. When you learn to pinpoint that fastball where you want to throw it, then the rest of that stuff's going to be gravy. Yeah, and that's something, too. I mean, playing with him, I'm sure you're familiar with with his mentality. He was He's a bulldog. I mean, he's... He's, he's mental, you're right. He's, he, <laughs> he's, he's, a, he's a bulldog um, as a coach. I mean, he's... He's a guy that, and I know that he instilled that in our pitchers. I think that's why we had such a good season. Yeah. We, you know, we didn't back down from anybody. Uh, we, you know, we continued to throw inside. We would get warnings. We would continue to do it. And it's, it's something that I'll, I'll forever be grateful to him for just teaching me how to do that. Because if you live on the outside part of the plate the whole time, guys are going to get comfortable. Um, you know, and with how the game is changing now, I feel like, there's more awareness on, you know, safety of the hitters. Sure. But at the same time, that, that plate's up 17 inches or so. Well, he, he makes a good point, too, because the strike zones change so much. Where in the older days, as you know, Jamie being a, a fan, you could throw the ball inside a lot. Yeah. And it, there was nothing to see as several guys get knocked down during the game and not much was said about it. Now you get warnings as soon as the first pitch is thrown in there. So, but – there's still a way to use that inside there part is. of the plate to your advantage. Bob Gibson always said, you know, you choose whichever side you want. You want the outside or the inside, but you ain't going to have both. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. I mean, it's – and it's – you know, it's – and I, I, I agree with it. You know, the last thing you want to do is end a guy's career. Sure. Um, but you have a job to do. You have a job. You you, you know, Danny would tell us they're, they're taking money out of your pocket. Yeah. <laughs> Um, and Spoken it, like a real pitcher. Right he would, I mean, he would take it even as far as to say they're taking food off your plate. He got he got personal. But it's, you know, it, the game, I, I think you, you need to – hitters use every advantage they can. Pitchers need to use both sides of the plate. Sure, yeah. One of the things you just mentioned, Rookie, uh, and that I liked a lot, like the first thing that you concentrated on was being a good teammate when you got over, to get, in, get to know everybody. Uh, and I think it's evident that, you know, just seeing you here, uh, seeing your uh, your stuff online, that you're pretty popular amongst your teammates. And how long did that really take for you when you came over before you really started settling in? Yeah, um, it took – after the trade, um, you know, I was called about a pitching summit that happened in, in January. And that was the first yeah. time that I was really around that group of guys. Um, you know, actually one of the first guys I talked to was Disco. Um, and I, I sat at dinner and talked with him and, and Moscott for, you know, probably an hour just because I wasn't, you know, I, I'm, I'm a shy person. Um, and once I get to know you, that's whenever people really see it. So for me, um, at that summit, it was more of just observing, um, just, just see how the organization works. And even in spring training, uh, this year was my first big league spring training I've ever been to. Um, and, you know, you're nervous. Where do I sit? You know, the breakfast. I mean, everything's running through your head. All that and stuff is like a lot of people don't realize that. That, does. that stuff does wear on a young see, guy that, like that. That, as an older player, will get you the respect faster than anything else. If you go in loud, popping off, got all the answers, not listening, uh, then you're – and I don't know for the first two years, I didn't even speak with the big – matter of fact, I couldn't even go into the training room. I walked in the training room one day, and Joe Morgan said, what are you doing? I said, nothing, and turned around and walked out. I had a big strawberry. So when he left, I snuck back in after infield practice, fixed up a patch on my side, 
And, but that was because I respected them. They'll let me know when I can mm -hmm. talk and, and when I'm comfortable. Wow, you're really making up for it now. <laughs> oh, see how you are. You're just so bad. You know that. No, I mean, even, even just what he said, it's, I, was a, I was a firm believer. I knew the guys that were my age. I played against them in high A, uh, like Amir, Sal, those guys. So I was comfortable talking to those guys. But guys like Homer, Jay, um, Votto, those guys, I, I wasn't going to initiate a conversation just because the last thing I want to do is approach them and then say, well, who, who, who are you? So I'm, but those, those guys, honestly – for it being my first camp, not knowing anyone, those guys were unbelievably welcoming. Um, Homer, believe it or not, I talked to him a couple times whenever I was there, and, and very insightful conversations. Yeah. I mean, and, and as far as my teammates that I played with throughout the season, it took, honestly, a, about a week and a half probably of until I felt comfortable. And then the more I was around them, the more we started to mesh. And that's I think that's why our Pensacola team did so well. You know, we all we all enjoyed being around each other. Yeah, we just had Disco up here uh, before you guys came up, and we talked a little bit about Homer. We talked about the clubhouse being, to, in my opinion, for you know, and Doug, you're around it as well. Uh, it seemed a little tighter this year than it has in years past. I, I thought it was, uh, it was really clear that those guys down there really cared about each other, and Disco said it makes it easier for guys like maybe Cody Reed and Robert Stevenson, when they struggle when they first come up here, it makes it easier for them to endure that. And I think, Rookie, I think you'll see it when you come up too, like being around guys like you mentioned, Homer being one, the, the, the guy, the veteran in the, in, in the clubhouse. And Disco's becoming a guy like that yeah. too, from what I can tell. Yeah. Well, you don't want to – you know, when you're going bad or when you're going good, you, got, you don't need your friends right there. It's when you're going bad where you need somebody to come in and – I always thought if I could do it over again, the one thing I would get is an accountability partner. I would have somebody who would shoot straight with me. For instance, you come in off the mound, you say, man, those pitches were good pitches, and have somebody that was truthful with me and say, I thought they were low. I thought he made a good call. Or I thought they were high. Or if you get called out, I used to go into Joe Youngblood. He'd be laughing at me so hard. I'd say, Joe, that pitch is low. He said, no, that pitch is so good. <laughs> But, you know, he was honest, and I think when you can get that kind of honesty that spreads throughout your team where you are pulling for each other, and you got to laugh at each other because we're all going to screw up. So yeah. go ahead and laugh and have fun with it, but don't take – when somebody gets on you, take that as constructive criticism. Don't take that as them thinking they're better than you. And, and that leads me to ask you, Rookie, it, do you feel any pressure out there? I mean, you, you, when you came over and you, you got traded for a, a superstar, let's face it, does that does – that, put any pressure on you to like come over to a new team and try to you know be lights out um uh, anyone that would answer that question you know would know is lying I mean honestly you you know I go from ordinary day where I'm I'm you know sitting at an auto shop to then I drive home 30 minutes later I'm on MLB network you know it's it <clears throat> initially like the first 24 hours, and I'm sure you can you can see what I'm saying. It was almost like, what do I do? Yeah, like that's exactly right. Do I go anywhere? What I, I don't even know where spring training is. I don't know the guys, and and you start to form fear based off nothing. And then once, honestly, once I got to that pitching summit, uh, I was around those guys, and I had talks with them, and I was in meetings 
I, I felt no pressure from then on. Um, you know, Chapman is a is a, a like you said a superstar. The guy's unbelievable. But you know, if I wanted to put pressure on myself, I you know it, you're not going to be successful if that's what you do. Um, the only thing that I the, at the end of the day, the only thing that I really want to do is help whatever team I'm on win. Um, you know, so the, the the whole pressure. I think pressure mounts from how much you put on yourself. You know, and I was a big believer in after the trade, I didn't read any reports. I didn't read anything that people tweeted at You didn't at read me. any blogs either, did you? Uh, I, I'm sorry, I didn't read it. I didn't read <laughs> no, it. No, I'm all positive anyway. So <laughs> no, if you uh, did read it, it would have been a no, complete puff piece. You know, and it's yeah. it's like you said, whenever it was the trade happened, it was controversial. And I, I know that. And to be honest, very rarely is a trade made where both fan bases say that's a great trade. Yeah. That's right. You know, so I, I understand, and I understand that the fans um, that aren't believers, and, and they have every right to, they have every right to their own opinion, but I'm going to do everything that I can to help this team win a World Series, and that's that's it. Well, you know, it, the Reds got him because of what they saw in him, too. I mean, they're not going to take him if they don't think he can pitch. And when you come over like that, the, the thing that you have to be careful of is that you, you find somebody like you have with Danny Darwin who – I trust Danny. Danny's going to shoot straight with me instead of somebody who's there going, well, I think I know why we got you because I'm going to change you to do this. Mm -hmm. No, they, there's little things. Most of us already have that little bit of ability. Now you find somebody that you trust enough that's going to just help you tone that. And uh, But it, he's right. If, if you don't come over and try to say, well, I'll, make, I'll show them what that trade was all about. We all did that. I mean, when me and Zach and all of us went over to New York, sure, you want to do as good as you can do, but um, – you do it within your own – you don't try to be anybody that you're not. And I think he's got a good handle on it. He knows what he needs to do to get better and to move on up to the big leagues. And we got some good pitching coaches in our system. Absolutely. I mean, Teddy do. Power's outstanding. And, yeah. of course, we know about Brian Price, what a great pitching coach he was. And, and, uh, and that, that, too, I mean, I didn't know what to expect. I'd, I'd, I'd never met the pitching coordinator. Um, I'd never met Danny. And, you know, not once – did they try and change anything? Nothing. They would make sure they would make suggestions. Yeah. Um, but at the end of the day, they they trade. It's like Tony Foss has told me: we traded for you for a reason. You know. There's another good one. Do Tony what you Foss's. do, and we'll help you along the way. But ultimately, you know, you're you're not going to need a pitching coach in AAA saying, "Hey, let's let's try and change this, this, this," and you know, it's. You got there. That's how you got you're there. there, and and just self-assess it. You know, if you have any questions, those guys are great. You can yeah. ask them anything. And you use your resources too. That's yeah. what they're there for. Yeah. Yeah. So you talked a little bit about some of your teammates and the staff that you were on with uh, uh, at uh, Pensacola, and we're talking about guys like you know Amir Garrett, Tyler Malley, who I yeah. think is one of the most underrated guys in the in the system, uh, and, and Travieso, of course, Sal Romano. We can go on and on. How important, and I've heard this from, you know, other general managers, maybe other other managers and other players even, that when you guys become, when you guys gel, like I think you guys, it's pretty evident that you guys are all on the same team. You're all like pulling for each other very mm -hmm. close. It's, it's clear that you guys are close and care for each other. How important is it for you 
to come up together in the system. I think, because another example, like in the Cardinals days, they used to bring guys up in clumps, yeah. bring them up, and that's how they became successful. They're used to playing at every single level with these guys, including the big league level, and that's where they succeed. Do you see that? Do you, do you think there's something to that where you guys keep advancing together? I do. I do. I, th I think it's great, too, because a guy like Sal, um, you know, he struggled in the first half. And, it, and believe it or not, me, Sal, and Amir live together. Um, you know, and to see kind of the trust that he invested in me over the course of our friendship. And, and you can be teammates, and, and, but the friendship aspect um, is something that's big to me. And, and we hang out outside of the field. Um, and I know not every rotation is like that, but I think in our situation we have a, a special case where you've got, you know, nine or ten arms that are right at the same level with each other, that enjoy hanging out, that enjoy golfing together. I mean, it's, it's something where you actually care about that person, not just care about their performance. Um, and, I, you know, if, if all five of us could make our – our debut back to back to back to back days that'd be great yeah that'd be awesome um but you know whatever guy goes up i know that the other seven or eight guys are going to be rooting for me yeah. um they're not going right to be behind them yeah and they're not going to be you know hoping that i fail so they get that opportunity um you know like whenever cody went up uh the first thing that we did in pensacola us that knew him we flipped the tv on yeah. and watched yeah you know and the same thing with rob i watched rob debut um i was in arizona about to fly out to Mississippi, and I flipped his game on in the locker room and watched it. You know, and it's just something you pull for those guys. Yeah, that's great. That's but great. you know what I, I found too, in all the years, and you watch in every sport I've ever played, the the name on the on your uniform is special, the town you play in is special. But I'm gonna bust my rear end for my friend. Yeah, yeah. I mean, so if I'm playing with guys, the closer I get with my buddies on that ball club, the more we're gonna fight together, we're gonna play together. So. And I think when, when you see that on teams that have had success, you hear a lot of that. Hey, we're one. We do stuff together. We go out in groups of four or fives and six. We, mm -hmm. And I think it's real important. Hopefully that's what we're going to get established here. Did Now, you had friends on the teams that you played on? No, but they all liked me because I had the only car. <laughs> oh, you had, okay. yeah. until it got stolen. In I, was a, I was a designated driver. <laughs> Rookie, we talked about some of these guys that you uh, – let that you pitched with and who you roomed with. Can you give us like a brief, uh, what you see, a brief rookie Davis scouting report on a guy like Amir Garrett? I can't make his head. <laughs> uh, no, Amir, um, he is a, he's a big, strong, he's a, he's a bull. I mean, he's, he doesn't back down. He's not, it doesn't matter who you are. He's not scared of you. He's, uh, he's uh, the ultimate competitor. You know, he mixes his pitches well. Um, he likes to throw in, so we get along really well. Um, and he's, he's, you know, like I said, the kid is, uh, he's going to be special. I mean, he's, he's our number one pitching prospect for a reason. Yeah. You know, he's intimidating. I mean, he is. He's, he's, a, he's a great, not only a pitcher, but a great athlete. I mean, he's he's a good dude too. He is. He's one of the he's one of the funniest, <laughs> but still he he's got a weird way of doing it. He'll he'll, he'll so make Doug fun. Flint. Yeah, he'll make fun of you, but at the same time, there's a sprinkle of seriousness <laughs> in there. So you got to try and decipher it. Yeah, yeah. Makes <laughs> um, you think a little bit. You're on your toes. Yeah. 
Um, a guy like Sal, um, I mean, throws hard. Yeah. With a lot of run. Um, he's got a power curveball, which gets a lot of swing and misses. His changeup over the course of the year came a long way. Um, and he's another guy that's a, a competitor. Yeah. I mean, every any any pitcher that you list from Pensacola is a competitor. Sure. And and uh, I'm a big believer in Danny Darwin instilled that. Yeah. I mean, it's no, no one on that staff back down from, from a challenge. That's and, great. And honestly, the biggest thing I can say about Sal, you can look at the numbers, you can look at his arsenal, you can look at whatever you want, but the way that he developed – as a teammate and as a leader last year mm-hmm. was was a, a bigger improvement than anything you can see on a stat sheet. I mean, he he went from having a, a 10 ERA, I think, the year before in AA to then he had a rocky start at yeah. first, and then he finished the year as, as one of our guys. And see, that's how I know that he's a good teammate because he knows the stats of his teammates. <laughs> and he, you know. Yeah, I, that, yeah. <laughs> you know, I got to. I gotta help my guy. Yeah, out. exactly. I gotta help him out. I mean, I know he set the Pensacola strikeout record. Yeah, that's. And you've got some guys that came through there that are phenomenal. So I mean, now you talked, rookie. You talked a little bit about when you came over here that nobody tried to change you. Mm-hmm. Nobody tried to change your mechanics or anything. But when you're amongst, especially when you're living with your some of your teammates who happen to be pitchers, and you witness, say, like you know, you're you're either when you're tracking pitches the day before, the day after. And you're, you know, seeing a live bullpen, and you see these guys, or you see film of your uh, your teammates, and you see something that's working. Like, wow, that's an unbelievable changeup. Can you show me how to throw it? Do you ever? Are you to that? Have you done that? Have you asked those guys? For, um, or have you had to show like somebody else how to throw a pitch? Or? No, you know, it's it, we we do talk about it. Yeah, I mean, just like hitters talk about, you know, what they see or what they're feeling. Pitchers do the same thing, but. Um, as far as me personally, um, if something's working for a guy, it's probably been working for him for a while, yeah. and he had to tinker with it and figure it out, and it was a, probably a hard process for him to get to. Um, you know, so for me to to ask him kind of exactly how he did it, I think would be hard to do. But we, I mean, we do talk about most of the time. We talk about scouting reports, honestly, yeah. like. Um, you know, this guy struggles with fastballs in. Uh, you can double up on him. This guy struggles uh, with breaking balls in the dirt behind in the count. I mean, it, it's not necessarily how to throw what pitch. Um, or like in my case, I throw a cutter. Um, so guys may ask me, you know, how do you hold it? What action do you do with it? But as far as getting really in-depth with it, I mean, we never – It might be something you go to your never. pitching coach and talk to him yeah. about, say, so-and-so is throwing a pretty nice change. Yeah. Anything that I could do. But when but they would talk about hitters. Hey, when I pitched against him this way, I used to pitch him. But for exactly how to throw it, that would be just out of protocol and respect. You'd probably go to your pitching yeah. coach. Very good. Guys, thank you so much for coming Jamie, by. Jamie, it's such an honor Doug to be Flynn, here. Rookie, a pleasure Rookie meeting Davis. you, buddy. Thank you. Good to meet you. This is, the, this is making history right here. This is it the is. first time that you guys met. It is. And it's probably the last time Rookie talks to you. Absolutely whoa, whoa, not. Whoa, whoa, Absolutely whoa. not. Whoa. That's getting a little personal there. I think we'll probably talk a lot. I'll probably see you at spring training. Okay. Uh, might even do a ball game. And then we'll probably talk a little bit about Reds Weekly. Ah, that's right. Yeah. yeah. There yeah. we go. Anytime. Cool. Anytime. All right, guys. Thanks so much for coming Thank you. by. I appreciate Thanks, it. Thanks, Jamie. 
It was so much fun catching up and chatting with our guests from the first night of Reds Fest 2016. We had a nice mix of guys that stopped by to visit with us, and I hope you enjoyed hearing what they had to say. Next week, we'll take you back to the second night of Reds Fest with guests that include Jesse Winker, Nick Senzel, Shed Long, Homer Bailey, and the incomparable Marty Brenneman. Thank yous go out this week to Brian Price, Anthony DeSclafani, Adam Duvall, Rookie Davis, and the glue, Doug Flynn. A special thanks to the best technical director in podcasting, my main man, Nick Prince, without whom this podcast would not exist. Until next time, I'm Jamie Ramsey. Happy holidays, everybody. Hey, Rob Bradford here. You guys know I'm always up for a good MVP story, and one of the best stories is Wasabi Technology. Wasabi is the world's hottest cloud storage company, and it's become the go-to provider for professional and collegiate sports teams, including 20 major league baseball teams like the Red Sox and NHL teams like the Bruins and Vancouver Canucks. Even the Liverpool Football Club is getting in on the Wasabi action. So why is Wasabi the MVP? Well, Wasabi was purpose-built to free businesses from skyrocketing storage costs and unpredictable transaction fees that the Amazons of the world are charging. In fact, Wasabi is up to 80% less than those hyperscalers and doesn't charge a cent for businesses to access their data. From Wasabi's AI-enabled intelligent media storage, Wasabi Air, to the industry's only cloud storage service with triple protection against cyber criminals, data deletion, and ransomware, Wasabi's taking the lead in driving innovation in data storage and helping sports teams to unleash the power of their data. Wasabi, another Boston-based championship team.